Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Joyful Friar podcast. I'm Father Nathan Castle, your host. Today we're doing part three of a three-part series based on a story that is in Afterlife Interrupted, book two, which you can see right over my shoulder. It's a story of Lucille, Calm Under Fire. So we, I told the story, then I went into what we call compassionate response in the previous podcast, questions that arise in people's minds after hearing the story and responding to those. And then today, spiritual practice comes to light or could be illustrated because of the way that this story progressed. So that's what we're doing today. Lucille, I called her calm under fire because, my God, she was an elderly woman living alone with her cats in her home during the night when she awakens to discover that she's inside a raging wildfire. Well, good heavens, what kind of a situation is that? She rallied from being awakened, pushed through any grogginess to assess the circumstance that she was in, rather than run around the house in a panic, which she said would have changed nothing, wouldn't have changed my circumstance a bit, and it would have scared the cats. So she didn't, she ruled out that option. She decided to simply gather her cats up with her, sit in a chair, and hope that maybe, as in newscasts that she'd seen of wildfires or tornadoes, maybe the wind will shift and maybe my house will be spared and all will be well. Well, it, it wasn't. Uh, her house did burn and she did die. She told us in her story that she only remembers sitting in the chair and not in, inhaling smoke or burning. All she did was sit in the chair and then become unconscious. She wondered about the physics of wildfires and could it be that the oxygen was pulled from the air and I simply went unconscious because of that. She didn't know and she didn't really feel the need to pursue it. She knew that she died. She found it easier to die in a wildfire in her home than she would have thought and that is in that it was without pain. But then she made an afterlife crossing that my partners and I assisted just a little bit with. This lady already has so much going on. She's uh, somebody that I already include in my prayer and have kind of made a member of my spirit team and, and hope to meet uh, after I pass. But for today, I thought the thing that she had in such uh, depth was calm. In fact, when I told the story, I... It reminded me of that slogan that Londoners and maybe the British people in general used during World War II, keep calm and carry on. In order to do that, one has to have a sense of serenity. Keeping calm presumes that you already know how to be calm, and that because you know how to be calm, serene, you can do that even in a circumstance that might incite you towards panic. So serenity. Well, there's a famous serenity prayer that you've probably come across somewhere in your life. It's associated with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, all the other programs that have helped really roiled uh, spirits, consciousnesses that were afflicted by addiction or perhaps the addiction of a loved one. 
this prayer has become a very large part of 12-step toolbox about how to move through the chaos that can come with interior pain and sometimes the attempts to numb it with a drug of choice that becomes an addictive cycle. Serenity. Well, you probably know the serenity prayer. I'm going to recite it for you. It's attributed to uh, Reinhold Niebuhr. He only died in 1971, so he was around the earlier part of my life. He's a, a Protestant leader, thought leader in the United States. Here is the beginning of the serenity prayer. Say it along with me if you know it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Let's break that down a bit. Maybe that's become so popular in healing circles like those who employ the 12 steps. If you know the 12-step process, you name yourself and state the simple truth of the thing that is your addiction. For example, I'm Nathan and I'm an alcoholic. In that process, there's a freedom in just saying a simple truth, not beating oneself up, not looking for negative judgment on the part of anyone, just stating a truth the way it is. That doesn't need to just be for trying to break an addictive cycle. It can be for anything in your life just to come back to basics and say, here's the truth. A simple truth. This is the way things are at the moment. This is my circumstance. That's what helped Lucille. She stayed in simple truth. Oh, I'm in a circumstance I've never been in before. There's a wildfire raging through my neighborhood. Simple truth. She couldn't change the fact that there was a wildfire going on. She couldn't change the fact that She was an elderly woman dressed in slippers and some nightdress, a very poor candidate to try to go out onto the driveway and outrun a wildfire. There were things that she couldn't change. She quickly sized up what they were. There weren't that many. And then she chose to change what might she might have the capacity to change. And for her, that was tending to her beloved cats. There were at least a couple of cats here and they might be just as frightened as I am, give me the courage to change what I can. Well, I I think she might say, well, what I could do is uh, make the most rational choice that I think I could make, which would be to gather up my pets, sit still, and ride this out, see where it goes. So did that take wisdom? I don't think she would say that. I think she would just size things up, and that's just what was going on. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Think of it this way. If there's something in your life that's a circumstance that is harming you, holding you back, got you stuck, where is it possible for you to change? If you can't change everything, what can you change? You know, in the 12-step movements, for example, in AA, you're really not allowed to stride into a meeting and say, uh, henceforth and forever, I'll never take another drink. That's not the way it works. You change what you can, which is in the moment. I will not have a drink right now. And you keep doing that in each present moment until some of it becomes uh, instinctual or habitual. 
and you don't have to think about it every second. You just begin to have a behavioral change. Another thing in the 12-step movement, people sometimes use the phrase stinking thinking. There's an encouragement to guard the thoughts that we have that might be stinking, that might be nasty, uh, that often are partially critical of oneself or someone around you or whatever. Uh, watch the way your thinking moves because your thinking can affect moods, attitudes, and behavior. And before you know it, you're doing things you didn't want to do that really originated in a stinking thought. Well, that might fall into that category of the wisdom to know the difference between one kind of thought and another. No, I don't need to think that. Uh, I, I That's part of my regular life. There are a few thoughts that I return to that involve some sort of sadness or grievance or fear, something. And when I begin to think about them, they move me in a sad or negative uh, direction. And I have to catch myself and and try to redirect those thoughts. I like the fact that the first word in this little prayer is God, because it, it moves to what in, in uh, the 12-step movement is called your higher power. I, I have believed in my higher power since I was taught to in, in infancy, really, all the way along. Yes, it's true that I'm an individual with my own freedom to create a life, but I didn't make that life. I didn't bring myself into being. I was brought into being by the one who created me. At least that's the way I understand life. And there's there's always one who created me, who loves me, who's present with me, who knows me through and through. And all I have to do is ask my higher power for what I need. It's interesting, too, that that, that phrase in the 12-step movement is higher power because uh, addicted persons can feel so powerless to change the thing that's so destructive in their life. That there's one who has power that's associated with me, who loves me, who can hear me when I call out. And then I would add to that, that I believe that my higher power is not just uh, not just is, but is, or it's not just outside of me, like the eye in the sky or the man upstairs or out there. Uh, I believe that God is inside me because, well, to begin with, God is everywhere and my interior spaces are places where God is. So uh, I, God is always with me. So God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Many of those are irritating traits of other people. I bet you have your own list of things that you might like to change in people that you share your life with. Well, they they could probably turn that around and have their list of things about you they might want to change too. It's just, uh, you really want to do that. So that's the way you want to spend your time, spend your energy, um, ruminating over what you wish other people would change about themselves. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, or maybe shouldn't even 
want to change in other people, the courage to change the things that I can. Kura comes from heart. So from the heart, would you would you give me power in my heart to do the things that I think most are uh, most important for me to do? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's important because sometimes we can create a self-improvement project for ourselves or create one in our imagination for someone or something else, and it really is beyond our power. We'll be frustrated because some things are beyond our power to change, at least at present. So the wisdom to know the difference. When I first learned about wisdom, uh, I was taught that it, it's uh, it's best explained with a musical metaphor. I, for example, have a very deep bass singing voice. So people like me hardly ever carry the melody in a tune. When I'm saying mass, I very often have a clip-on microphone. And if it's over here, I have to sing over here. Because very often the way that um, songs are set for a whole congregation to sing, they're, they're too high for me. So I don't want to have a thin, screechy little sound of my voice going full amplification. I'll turn away and uh, I'll I'll sing aloud the parts that I can hit well, and I'll uh, sing the other way. Well, harmony, if in a four parts uh, uh, composition, there's a line written for people like me. Here's the way it sounds: Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon verge, you get it. You won't want to listen to that all by itself, <clears throat> but when it's added to the other three voices, the tenors, the uh, altos, and the sopranos, the sound that I can make at the bottom of that range of musical notes is beautiful. You know, there's a, a bass section or a bass guitar or something like a cello. Very often there, there are instruments, sometimes tubas, that we might not be uh, solo acts, but we don't need to be a solo act. Uh, if, not if we just do the thing that we do and do it well, do it to the best of our ability. That's the idea behind wisdom. Wisdom doesn't need to do everything. It just knows how to do uh, how to do something and how to do it well in a, in a timely way. Well, anyway, that's that. Sometimes when you see the Serenity Prayer, for example, you might find it in a uh, religious goods store. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You might see that in calligraphy, or maybe uh, cross-stitched in some needlepoint kind of thing. Well, did you know that there's like a second verse to that prayer? Here's how it keeps going. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right. Well, obviously, that second verse, if you will, is explicitly Christian. It mentions the person of Jesus, although I believe Jesus can be. Um, quite universal and can be loved and followed by people who aren't 
explicitly a member of a Christian church. His teaching is out there in the universe to be uh, absorbed and and uh, and followed, if you like. But let's break that down again. Living one day at a time, which is also a motto of AA. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. My little podcast is called The Joyful Friar, and joy is really important to me. If you can't enjoy a, the present moment and something that's beautiful and good and true in the present moment, you might miss the bigger joy, whatever you think the thing that would give you the greatest joy and satisfaction, that ultimate whatever. The way to really uh, learn to be joyful at heart is to do what Reinhold Niebuhr, who wrote this prayer, suggest discipline your, yourself to living one day at a time enjoying one moment at a time everybody can do this it, it might be that you want to push back and say yeah but i have uh, a ptsd or or i have depression or i have uh, adhd well with with whatever's true whatever your truth is can you make room for enjoying one moment at a time, at least sometimes. Maybe you don't succeed every time you set your mind to it, but I'll bet that given whatever you might be working with, there's there's a possibility of enjoying something of the present moment. You're at least listening or, or watching uh, this episode. Are you enjoying it? Are you benefiting? Uh, are you grateful? Are you grateful that you have hearing? Are you grateful that you have leisure to take in new information? It, it's not difficult. You just have to uh, uh, choose to do it. I want to be living in the present moment one day at a time. And then he goes on to say, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Well, that might be a taller order depending upon what hardship has come into your life. For a lot of people who who use the 12 steps because of an addiction to a substance, alcohol or, or something else, very often that began with numbing pain of some kind. Oftentimes the addiction overcomes whatever the original uh, root of it was, but looking at whatever hardship has come into one's life and accepting it as a truth. Yes, this loved one has died. Yes, I lost this job. Yes, fill in the blank. And then accepting that as a pathway to peace. Well, I've lived long enough to have had plenty of hardships, and there's no real need to compare one's own hardships with the hardships of another. Uh, God loves us all and knows uh, whatever our hardship is. We don't have to be ashamed to say a prayer like, uh, you must have so many other things on your mind, God, and uh, I'm bringing you this pettiness. Well, I, I just don't do that to myself. I just talk to God from my heart and say, this hardship has come my way. Help me to simply accept it. Doesn't mean you have to cuddle up with it or uh, 
desire it to go on forever or whatever, but you can just say, right now, this is hard, and I accept that it's my present moment. And I trust that if I'm faithful to the present moment and ask for the present grace to meet the present need, I'll move through this. And I might be able to do that in peace, serenely. Does that sound like too much of a stretch for you? Well, just try it. Just trust that you can be in the present moment and and ask God for the grace that you need to do the best you can. Taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. I remember a spiritual director was listening to me uh, back when I was, I think, in my early 30s. And I was uh, probably complaining about stuff at the church I was working at and, you know, financial troubles were squabbles, uh, whatever the issue of the day was, uh, one for me used to always be not having enough time. I, I very, I, I spent some of my younger years feeling uh, like I needed to run and run and run because I didn't have enough time. I remember uh, that when I was, I was in conversation with the spiritual director, I would describe a thing and then I would usually describe some flaws in it or something that was insufficient and what I was going to do to improve it. And sometimes I was exhausted because that's the approach I took to just about everything is that I, somehow I needed to improve it. I don't know how I got there, but I did. And I remember the spiritual director saying, Nathan, when you get to heaven, you're going to want to improve it. Isn't that stupid? You're going to, you, when you get to heaven, you're going to want to improve it. Well, I remember that because it just had such a ring of truth for me that I, one thing that I could just do is accept the sinful world as it is, the flawed world as it is, the incomplete world as it is, not the way I would have it be. Well, at 67, I'm still working on that. My thoughts can, in an instant, move to something around me that ought to be better than it is, or somebody ought to be doing something that they're not. Um, another spiritual director wasn't the same guy, but uh, he once said, you know, Nathan, the world has a savior and you're not it. No, I'm a, a Christian. I follow Jesus. And we sometimes call him savior. And somehow or another, somewhere along the line, I uh, felt like I needed to take on the, the weight of the world and somehow fix everything in sight. That's why I have a particular love for this prayer, and I'm sharing it with you. Circling back to Lucille, in the moments that she had to plan on what to do in this wildfire, and in the many moments she's had since her death, she, I think, exemplifies a strong capacity to accept things as they are. There was nowhere that she, even in the follow-up, where she said, if only those blasted emergency responder people had done their jobs better, I would have known about this wildfire and I would have gotten to safety. She didn't blame the incompetence of anyone. Um, she didn't, she, she mentioned that they were water rationing and that you could get penalized for watering your lawn on the wrong day or whatever. She could have, 
raged against the system if she'd wanted to, or or raged at God for, you know, after all these years and all I've done for you, here's what you, she could have, she had other options that would have not been serene. She just chose to accept that some things were beyond her and that someone larger than her, God, would make things right. There are pretty simple ideas embedded in the serenity prayer. I just looked for it online today, and I was expecting to only find the first four lines of it, which are uh, quite popular, but it really does keep going. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right. Well, I'm going to leave it there. I hope that there's uh, something hopeful and maybe even joyful in uh, the message of this modest podcast episode. But for now, I'm Father Nathan, grateful that you tuned into this episode of The Joyful Friar. I'll see you next time. God bless you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joyful Friar. You can visit me at nathan Castle. Send me a message by clicking the contact button. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can make a donation by clicking the donate button. See you next time. God bless.